Today, what we're going to do simply is see what we can learn from a farmer, some seeds, a lamp, and a mustard seed, uh, and see what we can do in about 40 minutes or so. Uh, And so again, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. I don't know about you and what your best subjects were growing up, uh, but mine uh, was not reading comprehension. Uh, that was, uh, I did not like reading. I mean, have you did not like reading and maybe still don't like reading that much? Maybe it's okay. I mean, to be honest, it's fine uh, to be honest in church. It's actually encouraged. <laughs> um, but uh, I know for me growing up, I, there was something that I just did not like my literature classes. I did not like the grammar classes. There was nothing about English that was in, uh, enticing to me and was exciting. Uh, and so naturally, when it came to achievement tests and standard testing and all those things, it was going to be glaringly obvious that uh, the weakest area of my game, per se, was reading comprehension. Uh, I had some ADD going. I, that's why I don't stop moving up here, if you wonder. I try to stand still, and it never works. But um, I, I had some difficulty with learning and in the focus of reading. And uh, I could never really recall, and I remember coming to testing and all those things, and you're like, and I remember history. History was so hard because it was like, all right, so I'm just supposed to member, or memorize all this stuff and then recall it on a test? I, like, that's just, it's too difficult. My brain is like, it doesn't work this way. And I, I, I think I used that excuse for too long of like, oh, I'm not a good memorizer. Maybe you've said that before. I remember the first time I said that out loud to someone uh, was in an interview uh, at the previous church. And I've told you a little bit about that interview, but I remember looking at our, 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 my hope to be on their staff, this large church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm in this terrifying interview, and he asked me this, he's asking me these questions, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm befuddled, I'm nervous, it's just not going well. I'm getting asked all these questions like, well, well tell me about the inspiration of Scripture, where would you find that? And I'm like, yeah, I know that. Second Timothy 3, I, I was, everything was hazy all day in that, in that meeting, and I remember, uh, giving my excuse of like, you know, I'm not that great of a memorizer. And he looked me in the eyes and he kind of, he was like, okay, it just takes some effort. <laughs> he just kind of laid it to me. He was a Scottish lawyer who had turned into a pastor and he was super intimidating uh, and somehow graciously <laughs> brought me on their staff in their student ministry. But I remember, I, I, I've, I feel like I've used that excuse for a long time and it's this idea of, am I an actual listener? If, if you've ever had a good conversation with someone or maybe a bad conversation with someone, you know when someone's really paying attention and listening and taking in what you're saying and when they're in another world. Uh, I know I can do that. We do that in our relationships a lot of times with our spouses and different ones. You're like, yeah, yeah, I heard that. And then the worst is when they, the best statement is when they say, you know, right? And you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, right. Yeah, whatever you just said. Because you have no idea what they said, but you could confirm with you heard the last word. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but when they ask you and then you, it's quiet, that's when you're like, uh-oh, I've been caught. I have no idea what you were talking about. And here in this passage this morning, I want you to see the importance of being a good listener, of being a hearer of the Word. And you might be going, well, why is this so important? Why is listening and hearing, why is this so important? Well, one, I want you to see that in this passage, it is mentioned so many times. Jesus is going to say, he who has an ear, let him hear. 
He's going to talk about the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the outsiders and the insiders. And as we walk through this teaching this morning, I want us to see first in the purpose of the parables. And we're going to start actually in the middle of this passage of Scripture. So it starts in verse 10. Jesus is teaching on the parables, and listen to what he says. He says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, really hard saying, get ready to hear it. So that, this is a quotation from Isaiah 6, he says this, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You might be going like, well, this is Jesus, and he's quoting Scripture, which is God's Word. Why would he say this about, um, why would he say something like this? Why would he say this about people that, like, like I'm going to speak in parables that they're not going to fully comprehend and understand, and I'm going to do that in a way so that As it says here, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That sounds counterintuitive. Why would Jesus say, like, I don't want them to hear this, lest they be forgiven? That's what it sounds like when you read this, and you're like, well, isn't Jesus gracious? We were just singing about the faithfulness of God. We were singing about the grace of God. We're singing, we talk about the goodness and the love of God. Well, then, how do we we handle this passage? How do we approach this, this passage in this way? And I think what helps us is this. One, it's a first an understanding of the book of Mark. And two, it's an understanding of how the Gospels were written. You see, the Gospels were written in, not in chronological order. Um, we don't see all the stories lining up perfectly in chronological order as you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those Gospels are written with their own intention about telling the story of Jesus. And so in their telling and in their storytelling and in their theme for their approach, they're coming in from different directions. So what is Mark's approach and why does he focus on specifically these four parables in our passage this morning? Well, it starts with how he started the gospel. Remember in Mark 1.1, we get exactly what Jesus, or what this gospel is about. He says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm telling you about Jesus. And then, what is the story that he tells first? He quickly jumps into John, baptizing him in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And what happens next? Right after that, Jesus' public ministry, what is the words, the first words that we have of Jesus on earth saying? Here, we see this. Here, as he begins his public ministry, what does he say? He says it in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He comes preaching the gospel. And then quickly, to catch all of you up who haven't been with us as we've been journeying through the book of Mark, quickly all we see is a lot of healings. We see Jesus healing people of diseases. We see Jesus casting out demons. We see all of this wonderful miracles and the crowds are gathering and amazed at what Jesus is doing. He has power, and he has authority. He has the authority to cast out demons. They've never seen this before. So they look at an amazement, and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? Which is what Mark is trying to accomplish in his writing. 
Here is who Jesus is. Let me tell you who he is. This is Jesus. And so he tells stories. And so we see the story of a man being lowered through the roof, this paralytic. His friends deliver him to Jesus, straight to Jesus' feet. And what does Jesus respond? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Jesus has the authority to heal sins? Who is this Jesus? And then to show his power, he says, not only do I forgive your sins, he says, rise, take up your mat and go and leave. And he heals this man. He casts out other demons and they just started bringing people to him and he's healing and they're singing this. And what caused, what, what does all that bring about? It's what we've been looking at. It brings opposition. There's an there's a insider crowd and there's an outsider crowd. There's a crowd, and it's, it's flipped. The people you would think would be on the inside when it came to Jesus would be the religious people who know the scribes, who know the law intimately. These scribes have memorized. You know, talking about lack of memory. These guys have memorized the law. They know it verbatim. They know the, the, every little jot and tittle of the law. They know the law well. You would think they would be on the inside. Or the keepers of the law, people like the Pharisees who were so good at keeping the law. They could observe it really well, and they did it well, and they did it in front of everyone. You know, we know their heart motives behind that. You would think they would be on the inside, but what we see in the gospel is something totally different. Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, these rough fishermen are actually on the inside. And who's on the outside? At this point, his own family. Who else is on the outside? the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're opposed to him. Their hearts are hardened. And here's the heat of this passage as we look again at Mark chapter 4, is Jesus is showing us and continuing to show us who's on the inside and who's on the outside. Who has ears to hear and who does not have ears to hear? Whose hearts are hardened to the things of God and whose hearts have been softened by, the, by God himself, opening their eyes to see and opening their ears to hear. You know, I've, I've been a part of many missions conferences over the years, and, and I love missions. My heart is for missions and seeing uh, the gospel spread to the nations. A passage that's often used is in Isaiah 6. And I want you to turn there, too, is really, really quickly, and you're going like, Eric, you're supposed to cover four parables, and you're now not even started yet. Well, we're getting there, and we're going to move quickly through three of the four parables. But in Isaiah 6, I want you to see this. I think this is important for us as we understand this passage. It's this picture of the throne room. Isaiah gets this vision of the Lord in his throne. And here's what it says. He sees these things. He's describing what he's seeing. Above him, verse 2, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. Why would he say that? Because Isaiah is seeing the holiness of God. And what does that do for himself? It, he, he sees himself properly. And he only sees himself as undeserving of being in the presence of God. All he sees is his unholiness, his unworthiness. And what does he say? 
He sees this and he says, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And notice what it says in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And he says this, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom, this is the, the verse that we hear often at like a missions conference, the call to like mission work and going and sharing the gospel. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And then he goes on, and that's where we normally end when we see this passage. We're amazed at the throne room of, and Isaiah seeing the presence of the Lord. But what is it that he's going to be called to do? What is Isaiah going to be sent to do? And what he's going to be sent to do is to proclaim these things. But guess what's going to happen? He's going to speak to a bunch of dead hearts. He's going to speak to a bunch of people who don't have ears to hear. And what Isaiah's ministry is going to be is not very fruitful. You're not going to see lives turn to the gospel. You're not going to see people repenting of their sins and turning back to Yahweh again. No, what is going to be proclaiming actually is he's proclaiming this truth of God. And what is he pronouncing on these people? Their hardness of hearts. Their deaf ears. What does it pronounce? It pronounces judgment. His ministry ends up being one of just communicating and the people not hearing. And it was communicating a judgment. And that helps us understand back in Mark chapter 4 what is happening and why he would even quote this and say, and why would he speak in parables? Why would he seem to hide the kingdom? Because there's this outside group and there's this inside group. And when he's communicating and telling these, these parables that have a, is like an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning, those on the inside understand it. Or Jesus gives, as we're going to see, as the great commentator, he's going to tell us what these parables mean. But the scribes and the Pharisees and those who are opposed to him, it's just casting further judgment on them. So when he communicates in parables, it's, it's even showing that dividing line of the outsider and the insider. And I think for us, that speaks to, do I have ears to hear this morning? So as we look at these parables... Let's open our eyes, let's open our ears, and let's listen to what God has to say through His Word. So Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, He said, uh, again, He began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd uh, gathered about Him so that He got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and He was teaching them many things in parables. And in His teaching, He said to them, Listen. Again, notice what he's saying here. Listen. Pay attention. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, here's our words for this morning, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
But here's the thing. They don't understand. They're go- Even the disciples are like, I don't understand. Like, what does this parable mean? You may have maybe hearing this parable for the first time and going, what is he talking about with sowing seeds, some land, and some hard ground, and it not growing? You know, you're like, I'm not a farmer. Why does this apply to me? Well, here's the great, uh, the great uh, passage here for us that helps us is, you know, we can seek commentaries to c- explain us or pastors to explain something, but it's always best when Jesus explains himself. He's the great commentator. And so look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Here's what he says. The sower sows. What does he sow? He just says the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are, on the, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire, desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are, were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and even 100-fold. See, Jesus is speaking and telling this story about sowing seed. Well, who is the sower? The sower, this passage is Jesus. Jesus is sowing the word. And then, as we know how that applies to even us today, as he commissioned the church to sow the seeds of, what is it? The word, the gospel, the goodness of the kingdom. What is that word? Remember, again, I read it already in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is sowing the word. So here he's saying there's a sower, there's a person who's walking around and they're just, they're literally just like indiscriminately just sowing seed. There's rocky ground, there's good soil, there's, you're throwing it among the thorns and all these things. You're just casting seed. And Jesus is saying in this story that there's really about three different kinds or four different kinds of hearts. There's this heart that is so hardened to the things of the gospel, it tells us here, look at it again in Mark chapter 4, looking back at verse, um, here as he's telling the secrets of the kingdom, he says this, the sower sows the word, and there are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear it, what happens? Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You see, this is the heart that's so hardened to the gospel and to God. This is, this is describing the scribes and the Pharisees. They hear Jesus teach, and they're like, no. They're like, I, I, I don't respond. They're actually opposite of him. They're opposed to him. Have you ever had that experience with sharing the gospel with someone? If you love the Lord, it's tragic. It hurts. It makes you weep. I was hearing just, just this week someone sharing how they had spoken with someone and they were sharing the gospel and what happened in the middle of that is only a thing that Satan would do as, as he even was describing. Was in the middle of trying to share the gospel, something distracting happens, a phone call happens, 
a conversation. Something distracts that person right away, and they don't even really hear. And they're like, wait, wait, what were you talking about? Their ears were so hard, and they didn't even hear it. Or the person that you share the gospel with, and they're like, no, I'm good. Sadly, I remember this uh, when we were back in our previous home living in Charlotte. And you would share and invite someone. they say, no, nothing. We're good. Like, not even really interested. See, this is the first soil. He's, this, he's casting the seed. The seed's going and it lands on this hardened, like hard pan ground. This, this ground that would be like the roadside as people are just trampling on it and working. It is never going to ever take root because immediately birds are going to come and Satan's going to snatch it away as he says. So what's the second heart? He says this, and there are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Have you ever known someone like that? Who hears the gospel, hears the the word of God. Maybe you've shared the gospel with them, or you've known someone who's heard the gospel. Maybe, uh, I remember being a student pastor, uh, we'd have camps and different things, and, you sh- and you're preaching and teaching at these camps, and, uh, and people and these students would be like, oh man, I love God. And they would, they, would, they would be, you know, it's the campfire picture. It's like everyone's gathered around the campfire. It's the last night of camp, and everyone's saddened, and they're all emotional, and they're, oh man, I love Jesus. This has been the greatest week of my life. I'm going to go back and I'm going to be on fire. And I'm a student pastor. I got to see it over and over and over again. It's like, oh, I love Jesus. And then maybe three weeks, all of a sudden, not in the word, barely attending church, seem to not care anymore. You see, this is so many people. They, they like the idea of Jesus and they're like, yes, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But there's no root There's no depth of soil because it's just rocky. It's this hard soil. And so as he says, really, it says this. I mean, look at it again. He says, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while so that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They get scorched by the, the trial and the circumstances of their lives. That when hardship comes, Rather than running to the Lord, they run away from Him because their roots weren't ever deep enough. Their love for God wasn't strong enough. Their love for God is not present. They might have thought they loved God, but their hearts were actually far from Him. They were deceiving themselves. Yes, I love you, God. Then difficulty comes. I've seen that. I've seen it over the years. With students, you know, you're like, oh, I love Jesus. And then this person you thought who loved you and you were going to get married and they break up with you and your heart's broken and you're like, what am I ever going to do? Why, God, would you do this? They get angry and they run away. Or maybe as you get a little bit older, you know, life has been pretty good. You've been following Jesus and, and you, you think everything's great. You know, you haven't really spent much time in the Word. You're not really, you, you kind of attend church occasionally, you know. You, 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 it's, it's a part of your life, but not really. And then what happens when the trial comes, when the cancer comes, or when the death of a loved one, or the, the loss of a job, the, the difficulty of children and raising children, and one turns off and turns away from you, and it's become so hard, and you... And because there was no roots in your faith in God and your love for Him, all of a sudden those things turn you away from God. I've mentioned this many times in Psalm 119. It's only about, it's all about the Word of God. 
And right towards the middle of it, there's this verse that has been so impactful over me over the years, over the past few years, probably two, three, four years. And he's, the psalmist says this, if, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. You see, the trial comes, and the person whose roots aren't deep, they perish in their affliction. The trial is too hard. It's too difficult. They just give up. There was no roots there. And he continues, and he says, this is the person who, they immediately say great, but then as soon as trial, as soon as difficulty comes, they fall away. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but... Verse 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You see, this is a crowded heart. This wants Jesus plus all kinds of things. It's let me have Jesus plus the rest of the things of this world. Let me have Jesus and success. Let me have Jesus and material things. Let me have Jesus and all these other things. And so it's saying, I I want Jesus, yes, but I also want the things of this world. And man, I would love to have this. I'd love to have that. Oh man, I want this. And the things of this world have such a pull on your heart. What happens? Eventually it chokes out the word that was planted. It tells us that person, it proves unfruitful. My concern is we, grow, we, we live in America where we have a lot of wealth. I've heard it said that if you just have owned two cars or you own a car, you're in like the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. I mean, just think about that. The whole world, you put the billions of people in the world, and here we are in the U.S. of A, and we have plenty. We're meeting in a, five, I don't even know how expensive this building is, $500 million building or something. I mean, I don't even know how much this thing is. We live in the, we're in the suburbs here. We, 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 uh, we've been blessed by God. We have things and that can, those things, if we are not pursuing the Lord, if God's word has not implanted deeply in our heart, we can be so deceived by the, the desire for more and wealth and things and comfort. We can pursue the things of this world and say, man, this is too, uh, uh, I don't want this. I want the easy path. I want the easy way. So make sure my bank account's good and make sure I have things and I have a nice house and I have cars and I have a family and all these things. And these things can be good things. But what happens is those things become God things for us. They become functional idols. We worship those things. And God says, no, I want all of you. I don't want just part of you. I don't get, you don't get to just compartmentalize me and have your part of Jesus that happens on Sunday, but nothing else in my life is a part of you. No, he's saying this is what happens, and this is, he's saying, have ears to hear. And I, I speak this to myself because I know I can feel so easily drawn to the things of this world and wanting things and wanting stuff. And if we're not careful, we can, be, and we can be deceiving ourselves and think that we have a relationship with God when in reality we don't. Because what he's telling us in this parable is there's only one who has a real, genuine relationship with God. All the others are counterfeit. They just come out over time. Some immediately, they're like, no, I don't need Jesus. I'm good. Satan snatches away. The word's cast. Nope. Don't want it. Others, they receive it with joy, but rocky soil. There's no depth. So then when hardship comes, their faith perishes. Here in this last one is probably the group of many of us potentially in this room if we're not not real with ourselves. 
is that the deceitfulness of riches, as it says, the cares of this world, and that crowded, they're crowding your heart, and they can be trying to choke out the word. But here's what he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is really extreme for this day because, uh, uh, you know, as they're harvesting grain and those things, these, these shoots and things would not produce this kind of thing. So he's even exaggerating the, the illustration to express something that happens in the heart that, that has been transformed by the gospel, that God has opened up your eyes and given you a new heart. He's re, you're reborn through the power of his spirit and through his saving work on the cross. When that change happens in our hearts, it produces fruit. Now, what does that fruit look like? Well, that's why we have Galatians 5. That's why we have passages of Scripture to see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of our lives? What produces this kind of heart that's transformed by the gospel? It looks like this. Love. It's joyful. Listen, are you joyful? Do you find joy in, in the, the songs we were singing? Do you find joy in knowing that we have already won? Does that excite you and move your heart? Does, does God's word do something in your heart that leads you to, man, I've, I've been living in sin and I need to repent of my sin. I need to fall down at my Savior's feet and, and be amazed at his great love for me. Why he would love me makes no sense. Why he would love any of us makes no sense. Why would he die for me? Like, does that move me to, to a greater love and appreciation of him? Does that lead me to a joyful life? Does that lead me to forgive other people when they have wronged me? Does it lead me to be gentle and kind and gracious? These are all the fruit of the Spirit. They're given from the Spirit who transforms a godly heart, a heart that's been transformed by God. You see, this is the parable in the, the ears that hear it understand it and believe it. Those who are hardened to it, it's just more judgment on them. And here's the question this morning. Do you have ears to hear? Is there roots in your faith? Is it growing deeper? Are you caught up in the things of this world? Have you, have, you, have you even been deceiving yourself by noticing how much your heart is drifting away from God and pursuing other things? Listen, repent. This is the call. of the, This is the, the beauty of the story is he's casting the seed. He's saying repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Live a life of repentance. When you do fall short, when you will, repent and put your trust in Jesus again today, again tomorrow. Again, the next day. You see, real faith, authentic faith, is an enduring faith. It lasts through the trial. It lasts through the, the man, the cares of this world, the things that are attracting you, like all these billboard signs saying, oh, you want this, you want that, all the advertisements and all the things that are pursuing and trying to get a hold of your heart. A genuine follower of Jesus endures through that. It's not perfect. Abraham's faith was not perfect. But it was an enduring faith. It lasted to the end. It waned. It went through some highs of being willing to sacrifice his own son to some lows of, of pretending and lying to, to, that his wife was his sister to try to get through and to make it, like, to get accepted and worried about what people are thinking and what they're going to do. It, it waned, but it endured. It's an enduring faith. 
So this is our first parable, and it's telling us about the heart responses to the kingdom of God. But as we continue, I want you to see what this next parable is in verse 21. It's kind of a continuation a little bit, but it's an encouragement to those of us who are casting seeds. Listen to what he says. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, notice these warnings. Listen, do you have ears to hear? Next line. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. This is going back to our parable right before it. Whoever has, whoever's an insider, as they are receiving the word, they get more. Here's the disciples, they're receiving the word, and guess what they get? They get more. Jesus pulls them to the side and he explains the parables to them, to the Pharisee, to the hardened heart. All they get is judgment, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, this is a picture of what we've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark, the insider and the outsider, the ones opposed to Jesus, the ones who are following, genuinely following Jesus. And here he gives this illustration of Jesus himself as a lamp, as the light of the world. It's not to be hid, it's to be cast, it's to be spread, it's to be told. You, don't, you, can't, put, you can't help, but when light comes, it expels the darkness. It removes darkness from a room when you turn the lights on. Jesus is the light of the world. He comes to expose and expel the darkness. It cannot be hid. So when you're casting out seed, don't be discouraged. I can't help but think of two missionaries. Some of the greatest missionaries, what we would consider, have, there are some amazing autobiographies on both of these individuals. But William Carey, this great missionary to India, one of the first to, to reach India and to try to reach India with the gospel. As he gets there, seven years he labors there. Not a single person follows Jesus. Not until about seven years in. And then he spent about 40 years serving and ministering to the people of India with very little fruit. Didn't see much fruit to the ministry. Does that mean, oh, no, like, is he, was he, was something wrong? Was he living in sin that we didn't know about? Is that why there was unfruitfulness? Because, wait, our passage tells us that they'll bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. But here's the difference. You see, what is our responsibility when it comes to the sowing? We just spread seeds. We just cast them. We are not responsible for the heart response. We can't control the person who's going to respond. We think we can control our kids even. We think we can control how they respond to the gospel. No, what it should lead us to is greater prayer. It should lead us to pray to the Lord of the harvest. We should be praying for God to do what only He can do. We're just to be faithful to cast the seed and to expose the light as, as light bearers of this gospel. And so he continues with this next parable. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produced, uh, produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You see, this is an encouragement here. 
And this leads us to our second point, if you're taking notes, it'll be on the screen, is, is there's the certainty of kingdom growth. There's this certainty of kingdom growth. And we're going to see this as we see all of these parables. We're going to see these last two points really mixed in with all three of these parables. But there's this, this, this certainty of kingdom growth. The kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is expanding. More and more people are responding to the gospel. Here's what we're to be. We're to be faithful. We cast the seed. I love this. I love it, but I don't do it very often. I can leave discouraged on a Sunday, being like, God, will you just open, open our eyes to your truth and help these people to understand your gospel and to believe it, and it transformed their heart, and I can, I can want so desperately it for you that I'm, I'm trying my hardest, and I'm you know, trying these things. Ultimately, we're just to cast the seed. Notice what he says. I love this parable, because it's, it's, and I need to hear it. He says, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. Listen, you just cast the seeds. You go to bed, let God, you know, let God water it. He's going to bring the increase. Like, trust and trust God with his work. Don't try to do his job for him. Cast the seed. And he continues. Not only do we see the certainty of the, the kingdom growth that we see in this parable and even in the next as well, but we're also going to see another aspect of this kingdom, and it's really its surprising size. And he said this, and he said, to, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shades, in its shade. Here he's, he's describing what's happening is it might, it might look, in, it might look really small. And, and we think about it, it did look really small. It started with Jesus. Jesus comes on the earth, he walks among, and then all of a sudden he starts pulling together this ragtag group of outsiders, what seemingly are outsiders. These sinners, these tax collectors, these, these um, uh, fishermen, and he pulls together this tiny little team of people. And what we're going to see actually is even as he goes to the cross, that team gets really, really small. We see John hanging by. We see Peter denying Christ three times. We see them all scattered because of persecution. That depth of soil is not there yet. They're, they're running from the persecution of this world. Jesus is being persecuted, and they might be thinking, oh, man, it's over. Like, what's going to happen? We thought he was the Messiah. We thought this was, he was going to overthrow Rome, and we were going to be able to follow him, and we were going we to engage the enemy, and we were going to see victory, and we're, this kingdom's going to expand, and it's going to be vast. But then he's dead. He's in a grave. What do we do? You see, it might look really small, kind of like he's describing this mustard seed. It might look very minuscule, but in fact, it's ever-growing. You see, what led to these 12 faithful men to share the gospel began to spread like wildfire. And what seems like a small thing, where it seems like the lamp can be hidden. I think of the first parable, and, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Many dictators and different people in different countries have tried to suppress the, 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 suppress the kingdom of God and to suppress Christianity. They've closed country, these closed countries seem to try to suppress the kingdom of God, and it seems like there's no one there. But what happens over and over again? We see this in history. 
The places where persecution is the greatest, it seems to be the strongest. Over and over again, we see this in, in, even in North Korea. We see this in Iraq. We see this in Afghanistan. I remember seeing this several decades ago when a new regime came in in Iran, and they tried to remove every single missionary and remove every single Bible in that whole country. And it seemed like there was only a few thousand people at the time that we knew of. And they tried to squelch all of it completely. And about 20 years later, it was, one of, it was deemed as one of the fastest growing churches in all of the world happening in Iran. It might seem minuscule. It might seem small, but you can know the certainty of the kingdom and its growth, but you could also, there's the surprising size of the kingdom, and you see this in Revelation 7. If you know how the story ends that we were singing about earlier, you, what you see, in, and we see in Revelation 7, you see is this new heaven and new earth, but you see the saints gathered together from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation. People who have followed Jesus are now gathered, this multitude of people gathered before the throne of God where Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and there's no darkness in his presence. And here they are shouting and proclaiming, he is worthy, he is holy, He is good, and here's this surprising size that seems so small and seems so very small here in our text. It becomes massive. It becomes great. It becomes innumerable. You see, God's kingdom, don't be discouraged. You know, listen, living in a fallen world can be very discouraging. Maybe you have a neighbor that you've tried to share the gospel with, and just not, they're not having it. Maybe you have a coworker you've been praying for and you've been having the opportunity. Or maybe you have an extended family member, some, a loved one that you have cared for and loved. And you're like, man, I, I just want them to believe in the gospel. Listen, entrust it over to him. Be faithful to spread the seed. Share the gospel with him. Be bold enough to do that. But entrust the results to him. Go to bed and sleep and let God do the work of transformation. Trust him. Will you trust him enough to be faithful Know that we have confidence, that we have a, an overcoming God who, overcome the, who overcame the grave. He has overcome death, so we have nothing to fear. But yet, some reason, we fear. We fear what man may think of us. We fear what people will say about us, what they'll think about us. Listen, don't let those things get in the way of your sharing the gospel with people. Listen, we're leading up to a season where people are more responsive than they ever will be to coming and attending a church service. Right around Easter, it's coming up just a few weeks in April, on April 29th, or April 9th. And on, on the Friday before we have a Good Friday service, I would encourage you to be inviting, be praying. Uh, invite, share, share the gospel. Be praying for this work and say, God, will you do what you can do? Maybe some of you have, have not really committed to praying enough. I know probably all of us haven't committed to praying enough for our own children. For the children that are downstairs right now, being, hearing the gospel, singing about Jesus, that that word would take deep root in their hearts and that they'll be able to endure the trials and the challenges and the difficulties that they have no idea is in front of them. You see, entrust it because there is hope that we see in this kingdom. It's a kingdom that will not fail. It's an enduring kingdom. And so we entrust him with these results. But one more thing I want to leave you with as we, before we pray. Listen, do you have ears to hear? Don't be like the scribes. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the outsiders whose hearts have become so hardened to the things of God. 
or don't let yourself get distracted by the things of this world. Let God's word take deep root in your heart. Let that gospel transform your heart and make you more and more like him. So let that be a reminder to you this morning. Is my heart, am I, do I have ears to hear? Does it just kind of go, when I read scripture, does it just go in one ear and out the other? Do I even remember by the end of the day what it says? Listen. Listen to his word. Let it speak to your heart. Memorize it. <laughs> I know I was talking about myself and struggling with memorizing. I feel like I'm a whole lot better today than I was then because I was just dishing out excuses. Wasn't really trying. Now make more of an effort to memorize God's word. Memorize it. Let it meditate in your heart and let it lead you to undivided devotion to him. Let me pray. Father, this is your kingdom. You tell us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so we thank you that your kingdom is coming and that we don't deserve your grace. And yet in your grace, you have exposed us to the gospel. The gospel has been passed, cast uh, week after week here at Redeemer Community Church and week after week in other churches all across the world. The gospel is being cast, and as we go into our workplace, and as we go into this world, we're casting out these seeds of the gospel, the truth that Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve because of our sin. So may we be faithful to cast and to spread your gospel. I don't think we do this enough. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Help us to trust you with the results. God, if there's someone in this room, I pray that you'll open their eyes, maybe for the first time, to your glorious gospel. Open their ears to hear and to respond in authentic faith. A faith that endures through trial, through struggle, through the temptation of riches and pleasure and comfort. I pray that our, our faith would be an enduring faith to soften our hearts this morning. God, may we not harden ourselves to you and your gospel. Help us in all these ways, God. Open our, open our eyes and help us to see Christ for who he is. I thank you that it is not because of me. It is all because of Christ. It's not because of any of us in this room. We don't deserve your grace. It is all of grace. It's a free gift given that is so undeserving. So remind us of that and help us to live in light of your glorious gospel and your glorious grace. Help us in all these ways in Jesus' name.